from KBOO, Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life. Religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. What is progressive Christianity? Well, if you are in Fountain Hills, Arizona, you will get a series of sermons by a number of clergy that believe that progressive Christianity is dangerous. And these clergy have started a campaign against progressive Christianity and against a particular minister, David Felton, who is the minister of the Fountains Church in Fountain Hills. And he's also a co-producer of a video series, a popular one called Living the Questions. So Mr. Dangerous is with me himself via Skype from Fountain Hills. Welcome, David, to Religion for Life. Great to be here, John. Thanks. All right. Tell me again the name of your congregation. It's the Fountains, a United Methodist Church. Okay, in Fountain Hills, Arizona. How big is Fountain Hills? Fountain Hills is about uh, 20, 25,000 people, depending on the time of the season. It's a haven for uh, seasonal visitors during the winter. Everybody wants to be in Arizona during January, February, March. So. And so this is uh, the Phoenix Metro, right? Yeah, it's a, a, an outer suburb of Phoenix. Okay, and you've been doing a lot of progressive work uh, with uh, living the questions as well as, as work within your community. Uh, your church is an open and affirming congregation, right? Yeah, in the Methodist parlance, we're reconciling. Reconciling, uh, okay. Yeah. And, and that means uh, LGBT friendly. Absolutely. We have a PFLAG group that's meeting at the church for a number of years, and we have uh, associated ourselves. We're an affiliate of the Center for Progressive Christianity or progressivechristianity.org. So we've really tried to uh, brand ourselves as the alternative in Fountain Hills. And uh, that's gotten you some publicity. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about, uh, about what's been happening with your neighbors. Well, the Reader's Digest version is that uh, one of my staff members said, uh, can we delay staff for a few minutes while I go out and get pictures of the banners? And I said, what banners? Um, and I'd come in a back way to uh, work and hadn't seen that uh, overnight there had been uh, big black banners unfurled at eight of our neighboring churches that said, progressive in quotes, Christianity, fact or fiction, very ominous kind of thing. Uh, the next day our local newspaper came out and there was a half page ad that was taken out by eight of my neighboring pastors uh, that had a outline of six weeks worth of sermons in which they were going to critique progressive Christianity. They also had an article and an op-ed piece. And so it was, uh, it was pretty clear that this was a, uh, directed at us because, you know, with my involvement with living the questions and having written a book called the wisdom of progressive Christianity, here, they were going to do a series on progressive Christianity, and they hadn't even bothered to call. So, Now, but you, you, you know these guys, right? I mean, they're, they're in your neighborhood. I mean, you probably, you were in a clergy group with them, weren't you? Or? Yeah, I was in a ministerial association with them for a number of years. It was, uh, uh, it was uh, tense at times. Uh, there are several of us that uh, kept going just so we could kind of... Uh, be the balance there, including the local Roman Catholic priest, and uh, at one time the Pres Presbyterian pre uh, Presbyterian pastor that was there. Um, but a couple of years ago, I was uh, 
in no uncertain terms, uninvited from the Ministerial Association and told to uh, just stay home. Uh, so I haven't been back, and uh, the Presbyterian pastor was replaced with someone more conservative, so the whole group kind of slid to the right. And so, and so they invited you to stay home. Well, that, that was that was hospitable, hospitable of them. But it, uh, so, um, wh- why now? I mean, what what has happened to trigger these banners? And I've seen uh, photos of these banners. They are really professionally done. It seems expensive. Well, yeah, they've. I think they've done a great job. Um, <laughs> and I think that what's what's triggered it is, I think we've just hit a. Uh, a a point on the scale where they couldn't stand to not respond anymore. I think that uh, as the Fountains has been very publicly reconciling and open to LGBT folks and lightning hasn't struck the church, um, as we sponsor forums for Muslims to come in and have people be able to actually talk with their neighbors who are Muslims rather than just spew all kinds of, of uh, negative assumptions about them. That has stirred up a lot of antagonism in town, uh, particularly from these churches. So there are a lot of different things that have just kind of been building uh, that I think they finally got to the point where they were like, we've got to respond to this, as the Baptist pastor said, in order to defend Jesus. In order to defend Jesus, so it really does feel like, um, from their perspective, that they're being persecuted by progressive Christianity in some form or another, or Jesus is. Well, uh, yeah, and I think that I had a chance to listen to one of the pastor's sermons, the Presbyterian pastor, um, and he did say that uh, while we were nice enough people and all, that uh, uh, we were dangerous. Uh, and that what we were doing was certain to lead people to hell. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're concerned, but of course the, the old ruse that fundamentalists use is that, hey, we hate you because we love you, uh, and we just don't want to see anything bad happening to you, and that's not our fault. It's God that's going to get you. So uh, we're just here to help you not fall into the hands of an angry God. Yeah. Uh, so do, do you think this big this movement is bigger than Fountain Hills? You know, that's something that a number of people have speculated about. Um, Diana Butler Bass picked up on this early on, and she put it out on her social media and mentioned it to the crowd at uh, the Festival of Homiletics in Denver just to kind of see if anybody had seen anything like this out there or heard anything about it, and nobody has. So... Uh, at this point, at least, we think it's pretty isolated here. But depending on the success that these folks have, I've got to believe that people are watching and would want to see if this was something that could be repeated elsewhere. I've been interviewed, or at least there have been articles about this situation in Christianity Today, and there'll probably be one in Christian Century here coming up. So I think It'll still, it's still got some legs, it's going to get out there, and people are going to be saying, wow, well, this might be something we might want to do in our town. Well, you know, the idea of, the, in, in many ways, uh, 
uh, bad, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So uh, there's an aspect here in which this is an opportunity to talk about uh, progressive Christianity to a larger audience. Well, I've got to tell you, that's been the silver lining in this and where I think some members of my congregation were at first a little anxious. They have come around to see that this has been an amazing opportunity for us to be clear about uh, who we are and what we're on about. And the emails from literally around the world have been 99.9% positive. The Facebook posts, the messages, the phone calls, it's, it's been amazing. And people are kind of strengthened to come out of the closet, as it were, to say, I am a progressive, I'm with you. And that's been a great aspect of this. I think that what we'll be able to do now is leverage this whole thing to let more people know we're here. We had a service on Sunday where um, not only was my bishop, Robert Hoshibata, present with his wife to offer a word of encouragement uh, and just solidarity, but we had representatives from the local mosque and from the Islamic Speakers Bureau. Uh, we got messages from the synagogue that meets with us. We had, uh, we had the LDS bishop and elders from his ward there with us. <laughs> and plus we had representatives from various uh, LGBT support groups and things like that, advocacy groups in town. It, you know, it was amazing, the outpouring of support and encouragement. And I think that made people feel really good that said, hey, you know, here are a lot of people coming together that in one way or the other have felt disenfranchised and they want to come and support us when something like that happens to us. Yeah, you know, the groups that you mentioned, uh, you know, the mosque and the LDS church, I mean, those are not groups that necessarily would agree with your theological take. Not and in the slightest, but I was laughing with, with the LDS bishop the day before, and I said, you know, if, if anybody should have difficulty getting along theologically, it's us. But we've gone out of our way to work together on things that we can work together on, and our youth groups have gotten together to do things, and um, just great folks. And so, uh, yeah, we've been to the mosque, we've had... Muslims come to do a, uh, our new Living This Question series is uh, called the Jesus Fatwa, Love Your Muslim Neighbor as Yourself. Um, and that raised the hackles of a number of these folks in town that we were uh, not only encouraging people to learn about Islam, but we were actually uh, bringing Muslims into town to, you know, talk about this, bringing, as, you know, this evil into town. So... It's it's wow. been pretty pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk. I want to talk a little bit in a, in a minute about uh, living the questions and the series that you've been working on for several years now. But before we go there, uh, a, a bit more about the uh, sermon topics that they're doing because they're kind of interesting. It, re it reminds me of uh, the old five fundamentals way back in the twenties or something, right? Those uh, <laughs> yeah. virgin yeah. birth and what, what are what are the sermon topics? Well, it's about the virgin birth and the necessity of believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus, that uh, God does not change, which is amazing, seeing that even if they took the text which they claim to revere seriously and read it, they would see that the portrayal of the divine changes radically over the course of the text in the Bible. But, you know, they don't, they don't see that. And 
or they don't claim to see it, or they spin it in a way that says that it, it does, God doesn't change. Um, so all of these topics are basically things that I would preach the exact opposite of. Uh, and I think most progressive Christians would. Uh, so, Even most mainline, I would think. I mean, yeah, well, maybe not. I don't know. No, but it well, seems to be more uh, that, th that we're, this is kind of a hearkening back to some real, you know, stuff back in the, like I say, in the 1920s. Right. Well, you know, this is, this feels really good to me. I'm a big fan of Harry Emerson Fosdick. In fact, uh, we named our second son Samuel Emerson in honor of Harry Emerson Fosdick. And he was the guy, of course, that preached the famous sermon, Shall the Fundamentalist Win, right? And the whole Ex fundamentalist modernist controversy Ex back there in the 20s. In the 20s. And in fact, I have that sermon posted on my, uh, on my bio page online. And it alone has been one of the major things that has brought people to the churches I've served because people read that and they go, wow, if they can preach that, then this church is for me. And remembering that Fosdick preached this in 1922, where he says, look, you know, the virgin birth, metaphor, there's not going to be a rapture, come on. Um, and basically was saying we need to be on about doing what Jesus called us to do, not expecting people to believe all these unbelievable things. And of course, since you know, it seems like they're going through this whole controversy again, and yet at the same time, it's we're in a very different era. Um, you know, the the Pew Research study just came out, and and uh, the people who are just not interested anymore in religion are are um, increasing, and. Um, and I think some of that must be, well, I'll ask what you, what do you think about it too? But it, some of it seems to be that it's just people are not interested in the way Christianity has been presented as, as kind of a, a fundamentalist view. Right. And I think it goes back to the time that we're in right now, because yes, this is a mainline versus fundamentalist kind of argument. But the bottom line is, is that one of these guys is a so-called mainline pastor. He's PCUSA. Mm -hmm. Even though his church has recently voted to leave, um, they probably won't be, uh, just for financial reasons. But the bottom line is, is that most mainline pastors are not preaching for a variety of reasons uh, that the virgin birth is a metaphor or that um, right. the other things are going on. I, I just think that a lot of my colleagues are afraid to speak about what they really believe and uh, for fear that folks are going to abandon their church and the mainline church is in such uh, uh, panic mode right now that they can't fathom risking one more person leaving their church. Um, we sponsor a number of people coming to town. We've had you know Jack Spong and Marcus Borg and uh, A.J. Levine and all kinds of great folks in and we often have a lot of my colleagues uh, at these events and they say, wow, this is exactly where I'm at theologically, but I could never preach this in my church. And I, my heart sinks. I'm like, come on, guys. This is what you, if it's where you're at, you need to be preaching it because it's not about having more, you know, uh, upbeat music or uh, you know, fancy displays or whatever at your church. It's about 
sharing with people where I think they really are and theologically, and people have moved on from even where the kind of uh, lukewarm mainstream message of Jesus loves you is. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think that when people are introduced to uh, modern scholarship, uh, they feel a great sense of relief and sometimes they're even angry. Uh, why didn't we learn this uh, before? Why haven't people, why haven't the clergy been honest what they've learned in seminary? Well, it, it's a funny thing. I have One of my church members' son went to one of the more conservative seminaries in the Methodist tradition, which has since been uh, uh, unaccredited as a Methodist seminary, uh, but uh, was told in a in a talk to the seniors that were graduating, uh, look, you guys, you have learned a lot here that might be considered dangerous out in the pew. Uh, you know, historical criticism, biblical criticism, all of the history, that kind of thing. So it's better that you just keep it to yourself. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what the problem is. is better that, for who? <laughs> yeah, and I think that, you know, back in the day, when my, you know, grandfather grandfather-in-law was a Methodist pastor moving from church to church in northern Arkansas, um, he was one of the more educated people, and he, you know, was bringing these messages to people that uh, he felt was important for them to grow spiritually. But now we've got uh, memberships that are as educated or more educated than most of our clergy. And they can handle it. I mean, what is it about our not wanting to press or open up this door to lay people? I think it's disrespectful. Yeah, disrespectful. I think that's a great uh, that's a great way to put it. We don't actually trust the intelligence of our church members, and that's the difference uh, that you have done and many others, and particularly with your uh, public or your uh, video series, Living the Questions. Tell me a little bit about that and tell us uh, how, how that got started and, and what you're working on now. Well, how it got started was that my colleague Jeff Proctor Murphy and I were working on sermons together. We both have young families and we would try to share the load so that we could spend more time with our families. And we would so essentially be preaching the same theme every Sunday, although they were, you know, uh, our own style. But inevitably, we would have people coming afterwards saying, where did you get that? How come we've never heard that before? And we're like, hey, it's what we learned in seminary. And that would tick people off because they said, well, how long have they been teaching that in seminary? Well, 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, so what we did was we started to put together some of these things that thought people would want to know. We interviewed a number of people from, you know, Walter Brueggemann and uh, Don, John Dominic Crossan and uh, Sister Helen Prejean, many of the people that had influenced us in seminary or uh, through our readings and devotional readings. So, and we put together the original Living the Questions, which was just to expose people to what we had learned. And pretty ambitious because, you know, we're trying to squeeze three years worth of seminary into 21 weeks. But, you know, we basically, it's a survey. Mm -hmm. And it, opens up people's uh, awareness to this whole other level of scholarship and uh, expression of Christianity. Um, and so we've been really thrilled. We've had, uh, I know that people have gotten hooked on 
uh, people like Robin Myers and other people who've got great books out there because they first see them on Living the Questions. Um, so it's really helped get the word out and the different curriculums are being used in over 6,000 churches around the world now. Um, we've been invited to Scotland and the UK, to uh, Australia and other Canada and other places to present. And uh, it's, it's been really gratifying to see the difference that it's made in so many people's lives and in the lives of so many communities that have been revitalized by simply being given permission to ask questions without fear of being threatened with hell or damnation or whatever the popular thing to do is right now. And that, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, giving permission. Uh, that is an interesting phrase, isn't it? That people need to have permission to be able to think for themselves. I mean, that just demonstrates uh, the idea of how uh, oppressive really, uh, religion has been over, over for so long. Well, and I, I find it really ironic that, um, you know, people talk about how, oh, the Puritans, they came here for religious freedom. And, you know, within 40 years, they were executing Mary Dyer on the Boston Common because she was a Quaker. You know, <laughs> she didn't mm -hmm. live up to their expectations. And, and I think that's where, in a situation like we're in in Fountain Hills right now, I don't think people realize what uh, thin ice they're on when, you know, one of the pastors uses Bonhoeffer to, uh, quotes Bonhoeffer against us. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, does he not realize that when you quote Bonhoeffer at somebody that you're comparing them to the Nazis? Um, and, you know, another one is calling us theological malware that needs to be, you know, scrubbed off your spiritual computer and uh you know wow do these guys not realize that it just takes one unstable person in one of their churches to hear that and act out on it i i mean i remember john dominic crossan has always said that you know there's a there's a genocidal germ in every form of fundamentalism across the board be it you know Muslim or Jewish or Christian. And that's what we really have to worry about when we're kind of nonchalantly throwing around these kinds of accusations. Well, let's go uh, one, one more time back to um, the folks that have made up the banners and had the sermon series. Now you are definitely in uh, the public eye and Fountain Hills is. Uh, what's this meant for the local community is that, or is it too early to tell? I think it's really too early to tell. One of the uh, elders of the community, a former mayor of town has called me and asked to get together. So <laughs> I think they're thinking, okay, this is not good from a chamber of commerce perspective. Um, so I think it's still unfolding. Plus, um, I know that there's a group of nearly 30 uh, PCUSA pastors that are putting together a statement uh, regarding the fact that one of their colleagues is leading this um uh, this campaign uh, in Fountain Hills. Um, so there's a larger response in the, in the works, I think. Um, and I think that while it's not spoken in any of their sermon titles, I think what people in Fountain Hills know and doesn't take long for anybody else to really see is that all of these churches have in common uh, an antagonism towards 
the LGBTQ community. Um, in fact, two of the churches have voted to leave their mainline denominations for more conservative denominations that uh, allow them to uh, express their disfavor of any kind of LGBTQ inclusion or acceptance. So I think that's one of the things that is not being talked about that has yet to surface. And I think that's one of the really unfortunate things that people will continue to point at and say, well, uh, there you go. That's the way the church is. It's homophobic. It's anti-science. Uh, it's, it's just crazy. So I don't want to have any part of it. So I think that's kind of the, the, the sad uh, repercussion coming in the future. But the good news is that we had at the fountains a number of new visitors on Sunday that had been otherwise unaware that we existed, even though they live in town. Uh, they just didn't know that our message was different from what they had otherwise dismissed as uh, homophobic, narrow-minded, uh, small-minded Christianity. And of course, uh, the thing is, is that uh, your um, witness, so to speak, to the larger world is that, yes, you can be progressive and be okay with that. Uh, all, of, all of the threats and all of the scares and all of that uh, stuff isn't simply going to work. You're not uh, rolling over or lying down or being silent. Well, and I think part of the, you asked what was the catalyst for this getting started. I mean, we just had a wildly successful capital campaign at the church where we passed our our goal in wanting to not only pay off our mortgage, but build an addition to the building. So I, I think, yeah, we're here and we're not going anywhere. And I think that that is a good message in itself to say, hey, we're going to continue to do everything we can to express the positive attributes of progressive Christianity, which is, as the Methodist uh, mantra says, open hearts, open minds, open doors. David Felton, my guest on Religion for Life, he's the pastor of the Fountains Church in Fountain Hills, Arizona. David, uh, give us uh, information about how folks might find you online. Well, we're online at www.reachtouchteach.org um, and also at thefountainsumc.org. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, um, and the Baptist pastor at uh, Fountain Hills has referred to us in print so many times as the apostate church uh, that we went ahead and bought apostate.church. So if you just type in <laughs> apostate.church, you'll go straight to the fountains. Oh, that's awesome. And also, Living the Questions. Uh, tell us about that, too. Livingthequestions.com, uh, and uh, you'll be able to find there access to over a dozen different programs that have to do with theology and social issues. We, especially with the uh, with the sentence of the Tsarnaev brother in Boston, one of the series we have is with Sister Helen Prejean about uh, thinking through uh, capital punishment. Uh, we have uh, a variety of things with Marcus Borg and Dom Cross, in which, uh, with Marcus's recent passing, um, have been good to review just to remember his legacy. So uh, we're really trying to empower and uh, help those who are progressive in their mindset uh, hang on and stay a part of the in the Christian fold. And so we've really been uh, thankful to see how Living the Questions has been able to be a small part in that. 
All right, David, keep up the good work. Thanks for all you do, and uh, and and thanks for keeping in touch here and, and for being with me on Religion for Life. Hey, it's a real privilege and a pleasure. Thanks so much, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. Find more information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts, at religionforlife.com. That's religionforlife.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is heard on KZUM, Lincoln, Nebraska, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, and produced by KBOO, Portland. Be well.